0: Aloha, Kauai Bible Church. Pastor Aaron here with you. Unfortunately, due to COVID, I'm not able to be with the church in person, but I am still excited to, to minister today. I've got a message. I tell you what, uh, I have not felt well all week. But as I studied this message this week and I wrote this message, it was encouraging and refreshing to me even as I was dealing with COVID. And I am just so excited that this will be encouraging and refreshing to you as as you receive the word today. We are in a teaching series called After God's Own Heart. We are studying King David and we are looking at the fact that the Bible said that David was a man after God's own heart. And so in studying David's life, we want to find what are those key things that we can apply to our lives that we would be a people after God's own heart. And remember last week we defined what does it mean to be a person after God's own heart? It means to have your heart aligned with the will of God's heart and to be obedient to that will. To have your heart aligned with the will of His heart and to be obedient to that will. We, we uh, went through three words last week as we looked at King David. We looked at obedience, intimacy, and commitment. And in those three things, obedience, intimacy, and commitment is where we find this concept of being a person after God's own heart. And so we started last week looking at David, the underdog, that God chose David because of his heart not because of anything that was going on on the outside, not because of any skill, not because he was qualified, not because of anything the world looked at. And God chooses us for the same reason. We are underdogs. We don't have much to offer, but when God sees our heart and chooses us, he does supernatural things through our lives. And today in part two, we're going to look at David the friend. I want to talk to you today about friendship as we look at the life of David. And so Let's take a look at your notes. You can find your notes inside your bulletin or on the church app or they're attached to this video on our church website or they're attached to this audio podcast if you're listening to that. Here's our big picture point today as we look at friendship. Friendship is in God's nature. Therefore, as people after God's own heart, we commit ourselves to biblical friendship and the character and lifestyle it requires. Right? Friendship is in God's nature. Friendship is not something that humans designed. Friendship is something that God designed. And therefore, as people after God's heart, we're going to commit ourselves to biblical friendship, whatever that requires. So let's focus in on this idea. Friendship is in God's nature. James 2.23 James writes this and the scripture was fulfilled which says and Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness and he was called the friend of God. All right Abraham was declared righteous because of his faith and because of that faith he was a friend of God. Look at Exodus 33:11. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face just as a man speaks to his friend. Come on, we can have a face-to-face friendship relationship with God. John chapter 15, Jesus said this, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Come on, Jesus said, the greatest love you could have is to lay your life down for your friends. Jesus laid his life down for us. What does that make us? Friends of God. We are Jesus' friends. He says, you are my friend if you do what I say. If we are obedient followers of Jesus, we live in a friendship relationship with Jesus. Man, I remembered this. This had to be... I don't know, 15 years ago, there was this clothing line that came out, and the clothing line was called, Jesus is my homeboy, right? And it had this picture of Jesus kind of dressed up as a homeboy, and it said, Jesus is my homeboy. And so teenagers were wearing these shirts, and there were people that got their feathers ruffled about this whole movement. They felt it was too disrespectful to Jesus to say, Jesus is my homeboy, right? Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. But yes, Jesus is also a friend. And yes, we, uh, we relate to him as Lord, and we are obedient to him as Lord, but when we are obedient to him, he calls us a friend. Come on, friendship is in the very nature of God. In your notes, you can fill in the blank friendship. This is our definition of friendship that we're working through today. A relationship of enduring affection, esteem, intimacy, and trust between two people. All right. so we've got affection, right? We care for one another. We've got esteem. We honor one another. We've got intimacy. We know one another deeply, and we've got trust. We trust one another. Friendship is built on those things. Now, James 4.4, James wrote this, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Why would James be so harsh about this? Well, because based on our definition of friendship, to be a friend of the world means that we've given our affection to the world. We've given our honor to the world. We've put our trust into the world and the world's ways, and we want to be intimate with the world. And James said, no, if you want to be a friend of God, you've got to put all those things in God. Right, So we, I just want you to catch this, that friendship is in the very heart and the very nature of God. And so we want to look at this concept of biblical friendship. And so we're going to study David and Jonathan today. And even though this is a teaching series on King David, you're going to find that today's sermon is just as much about Jonathan. right? Because you need two to have a friendship. And Jonathan was just as powerful in this story of biblical friendship as David was. And so what I want to do, is you can see in your notes, we've got lots of Bible verses listed in there. We're not going to have time to read all of those today, but I wanted you to have access to all of those so you could go and study them for yourselves. But I want to look at four aspects of biblical friendship that we learn from studying David and Jonathan. And the first aspect I want to look at is intimate friendship. Intimate friendship. Let's start reading 1 Samuel chapter 18. And this is where the story of David and Jonathan's friendship begins. In verse one, it says, Now it came about. When he had finished speaking to Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. And then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belts." Right, so you see an, an intimacy here, right? Jonathan loved David as himself. Listen to what David wrote in Second Samuel chapter 1. After Jonathan was killed in battle and David learned that his friend Jonathan was dead, David wrote a song, and this is just one line from the song that David wrote mourning his friend. He said, I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love for me was more wonderful than the love of women. All right, that's an intimacy. In 1 Samuel 19.1, It says that Saul told Jonathan, his son, and all his servants to put David to death. But Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted in David. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 20, when... David knew that he was going to have to flee for his life and and he feared that he may never see Jonathan again. It says this, when the lad was gone, David rose from the south side and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the more. Right, And so what you see in this intimate friendship here between Jonathan and David is you see this, uh, uh, this love for one another. You see this delight in one another. You see them weeping at the idea that they may never see one another again. Now, I just want to be very direct here and, 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 and very straightforward that in today's culture, there is a movement in the world that want at, to look at this story of David and Jonathan and actually say that this is an example of homosexuality in the Bible. And I just want to rebuke that right now. What we're seeing and hearing from the world is that the world has so perverted God's ways and so perverted the concept of love that they can't believe that two men could love each other in an intimate friendship without it being perverted or sexual. David and Jonathan were not in a homosexual relationship. These were two men that loved God. These were two men that knew God's law, that knew that homosexuality was banned in God's law. And these were two men that honored God in their lives. Their love for each other was a friendship love. And so I just want to rebuke this whole accusation of homosexuality. Even if you look at the Septuagint, which is basically the Old Testament translated into Greek by Jewish scholars. It was written in Hebrew. Jewish scholars translated it into Greek. It was called the Septuagint because that word means 70, and there were 70 scholars that translated it. In the Septuagint, these words that we're reading here in in the books of Samuel for love, they translated into the Greek word agape. Agape which is the unconditional love of God. They did not translate it into the Greek word eros, which is romantic love or erotic love. So this love that David and Jonathan had for one another was an unconditional godly love. It was an intimate friendship. So what we see happening here in 1 Samuel 18 is that David has just killed Goliath and then the, the Israelite army just routs the Philistines and drives them out of their land and they come back from this great battle and they're regathering the army together and David comes and talks to King Saul and then it says in 1 Samuel 18.1, it says now after David had finished speaking to Saul, that's when the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. You see, as Jonathan is listening to David speak to his father, Something is stirred in Jonathan's heart that this man is like me, right? They were both approximately the same age. They were both mighty warriors. We know that Jonathan single-handedly took on the entire Philistine army A few chapters earlier in Samuel, and now we see David taking on Goliath and then leading the Israelite army to rout the Philistines. So these young men are both mighty warriors, and these young men are both passionate for God and passionate for the things of God. And so as Jonathan is listening to David speak to his father, Jonathan is like, man, this guy is like me. There is something about this guy that just knits my heart to him, and I want to be in an intimate friendship with this guy. You see, I want to talk to you about the reality that similarity attracts. Now, I know in movies and books and stories and everything like that, uh, a very popular storyline is that opposites attract, right? You, you put two people together that are, that, that are nothing like each other and they don't get along. And so whether it's a friendship story or whether it's a romantic story, there's this whole storyline of opposites attract, right? Paula Abdul in the 80s wrote the hit song Opposites Attract. But the reality is that in psychological research, opposites attract isn't true. What is true is similarity attracts. In fact, it's been proven over and over again so many times in psychology research that way back in 1974, two researchers, Leighton and Insko, said this, the similarity effect is one of the best documented generalizations in social psychology. Similarity attracts, right? And so, When Whether we're choosing somebody that we're attracted to romantically or whether we're just choosing people that we want to be around, similarity attracts. Now, this applies to ethnicity. We we feel more comfortable around people that maybe look like us or come from the same background as us. Uh, It it could apply to education. We're most comfortable with people that uh, are of the same level of education as us. This could apply to socioeconomic status. Right? That if you live in poverty, you're more comfortable around people that live in poverty. And if you're wealthy, you're more comfortable around people that are wealthy. But there's actually the psychological research has shown that while those factors certainly apply, the most influential factors when it comes to similarity attracts is attitudes and beliefs. Right? Attitudes and beliefs. That we have the same worldview, that we think the same way, that we see life the same way, that we're we're into the same things. Listen to this quote from J.P. Lang, the theologian. He said this, and he's referring to that song that David wrote, lamenting the loss of his friend Jonathan and saying that your love for me was better than the love of women. The theologian said this, In these words, David has not only reared to Jonathan a monument of friendship, but also borne testimony to that highest ideal of friendship, which in the Old Testament was possible only on the basis of a common covenant of heart with the living God. Right? The most important similarity that attracted David and Jonathan to one another as friends was their heart for the living God. And today, the most important similarity in biblical friendship is our love for Jesus. Right? Now, here's the thing. Here's the flip side of similarity attracts that can become a negative thing. And that is that if you're operating in the brokenness of your flesh, then you're generally attracting people to you that are also operating in the brokenness of their flesh. And when your life is broken and you're wondering, why do I keep attracting these messed up people around me that keep tempting me and making my life worse? Well, it's because they're attracted to the brokenness that you're operating in. Right? If you ever wonder, you know, why is my picker broken? Why do I always pick the wrong people to be friends with? Why do I always pick the wrong people to date? Why do I always pick the person that's horrible for me? Because rather than being attracted to somebody with a love for Jesus, we're being attracted out of the brokenness of our flesh. But here's the thing. When we draw together and knit our hearts together with people because of the similarity of our love for Jesus, it builds this beautifully diverse church. Church. Which is why even here in our church, we've got this amazing church of so many ethnicities. Whether you come from a, a, an islander heritage or an Asian heritage or a white heritage or a black heritage, we're all together in friendship because of our love for Jesus. Even some of us here are rich and some of us here are poor, but we're together in our love for Jesus. And if you're here today and, and and your life is broken and you're living in the consequences of your brokenness, or maybe you're watching this, this, this service online and, and you just see broken people around you all the time, that's why you've got to get yourself into church and knit your heart together with some people that love Jesus and begin to develop an intimate friendship that will make a difference in your life. Intimacy means this, it means close familiarity that you know somebody so closely that uh, uh, you know things deep within them. And this requires time, trust, and vulnerability. To have intimate friendships means you've got to invest time into people whose hearts you've knit together with. You've got to trust people and open up to them. You've got to be vulnerable with one another and share your hearts and your fears and your struggles and, and, and be honest about your weakness and your brokenness. And we develop that intimacy. I want to put this slide up, and we'll put it up on the digital campus as well. This idea of the stages of friendship. Now, this is just one psychologist who who created this, but, but I think it just gives us a great picture. These five stages of friendship that first is strangers. I know of you. I've never talked to you. I don't know anything about you, but I know of you. I know you exist. I know what your name is. And then there's acquaintances. I know you. Right, we work together. We go to class together. We've talked. I know you. But then there's casual friends. I like you. I like hanging out with you. We uh, we have a good time together. And then there's close friends. I understand you. I get what's going on. And then ultimately there's intimate friends. I connect with you. And this is that idea of our hearts are knit together. And so I want to encourage you that we come together. In our unity of the love of Jesus, we knit our hearts together with people who love Jesus, and we invest in that intimacy to find that level of friendship. Number two, the second aspect of friendship I want to look at is covenant friendship. Covenant friendship. David and Jonathan made covenant together three times, right? We see it in 1 Samuel 18, 3. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. In 1 Samuel 20, it actually says what their covenant was. Jonathan says, if I am still alive, he's basically saying, David, when you become king, if I'm still alive, will you not show me the loving kindness of the Lord that I may not die? You shall not cut off your loving kindness from my house forever, not even when the Lord cuts off every one one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord require it at the hands of David's enemies. Jonathan made David vow again because of his love for him, because he loved him as he loved his own life, right? They made covenant that said that even if David usurps Saul and becomes king, he's still going to be a friend with Jonathan. And then finally, in 1 Samuel 23, 18, this is actually the last time that David and Jonathan see each other alive. It says, so the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. So three times, David and Jonathan make a covenant of friendship. Now, here's the thing. We talk a lot about covenant, but we don't usually apply it to friendship. We talk covenant, obviously, when it comes to God. God is a covenant God, right? He made covenant with Adam. He made covenant with Noah. He made covenant with Abraham. He made covenant with Moses and with David. Through the blood of Jesus, we now live in covenant relationship with God. We talk about covenant in the aspect of marriage, right? That marriage is two people making covenant before God uh, to to live together in holy matrimony till death do us part. So we, we talk about covenant in those areas, but... We've never really talked about covenant a lot when it comes to friendship. And so, to understand this, I want to talk to you about the idea of a peg community versus an ethical community. And this actually comes from Zygmunt Bowman. He was a Polish sociologist and philosopher, and he came up with this whole model of a peg community versus an ethical community. You see, a peg community is a community forged by disconnected spectators around a mutually enjoyed experience, All right, So this might be a sporting event. You might be in a stadium with a bunch of people you don't know, but you're enjoying one another because you're all cheering for the same team. This might be a book club. You get together and you talk about a book and you read a book and you get together because you enjoy talking about books. There's a mutually enjoyed experience. But when you're in a peg community, you're in it because it benefits you. Right? As long as the book club benefits you, that's great. But when it doesn't, you just leave because it's a peg community. An ethical community, on the other hand, is a long-term commitment that is marked by the giving up of rights and service. And so marriage would be an ethical community. Obviously, the church would be an ethical community. Pastor A.J. Swoboda, talking about this model, he shared a couple of thoughts. He said this, in PEG community, I am in so long as it benefits me. In ethical community, however, we willingly give ourselves to a community whether it benefits us or not. He also said this, a peg community is a place we go to feel alive. An ethical community is a place we go to die. So why is this a big deal? Because a major shift in Western culture is that our lives are now built on peg communities rather than ethical communities. Even the two most important ethical communities in our culture is marriage and the church. But we even treat those now like peg communities. I'll go to a church as long as it benefits me. But then when it doesn't benefit me anymore, I'm going to go look for a different church that's going to benefit me. I'm in this marriage as long as it benefits me, but if it doesn't benefit me anymore, I'm going to leave this marriage. I'm going to go find somebody else. We have shifted away from ethical communities, and we have built our lives and our culture on peg communities, which means there's no commitments. There's no need to have to stay anywhere, to stick it out, to work things out, to learn to die to ourselves, to learn to be around people that are different than us, or people that we struggle with. Listen, the church was always intended to be an ethical community. And so for biblical friendship to occur, we have got to be willing to covenant ourselves in friendship with people that we go to church with. And be in a committed covenant friendship that says even if I'm not enjoying it right now, even if I'm going through a hard time, I'm not liking this person, I'm going to stick it out because I've made covenant, and I'm going to learn so much more about myself, about God. I'm going to grow so much more, and I'm going to make such a greater impact in this world, because I stuck it out instead of just moving on. Covenant friendship. Number three is selfless friendship. Selfless friendship. Henry Spence, who was an Anglican professor and theologian in the late 1800s, he wrote this, Nevertheless, Jonathan, with everything to lose, and David, with everything to gain, remained true and loyal friends. Think about this. Jonathan had everything to lose. He was the crown prince. He was next in line to be king. David was anointed to be king. Right? So the only way for, John, for David to become king is for him to usurp Jonathan. So Jonathan had everything to lose. If Jonathan was thinking about himself, he would want to get rid of David. David had everything to gain. The best thing for David would be for Jonathan to disappear. So if David was thinking about himself, he would have wanted to get rid of Jonathan to clear the runway for himself. And yet these two men, one with everything to lose and one with everything to gain, remained true and loyal friends. They practiced a selfless friendship towards one another. 1 Samuel 18.4, we read this already, that Jonathan took his robe and his armor and his sword and his bow and his belt, and he gave them to David. In ancient Eastern culture, this was a sign of great honor when you would give your robe and your armor and your weapons to somebody. It was a great honor. And the interesting thing is this happened right after Saul tried to put his armor on David so that he could go fight Goliath. The difference is that Saul was trying to put his armor on David because he was declaring over David, you're not good enough. Whereas now Jonathan is giving his armor to David, but he is declaring to David, I am honoring you as my friend. In 1 Samuel 19, when Saul first declared to Jonathan and his servants, I want you guys to go kill David, it says Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father. And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan, and Saul vowed, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him these words, and Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as formerly. So think about this, that Jonathan restored David to his father. Again, when it would have benefited Jonathan for David to be killed, instead Jonathan was a, a, uh, uh, I've lost the word in my head now, but Jonathan was a, a restorer. He was an instrument of restoration in David's life. That's what selfless friends do. They restore you when you're broken. They help bring you back when you've fallen. In 1 Samuel 20, we read the story of how Saul, Jonathan protected David when he knew that his dad was going to kill him. He warned David so David could flee. And then finally, in 1 Samuel 23, again, this is the last time these two were together. It said, David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life while David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horus. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Hores and encouraged him in God. Thus he said to him, do not be afraid because the hand of Saul, my father, will not find you and you will be king over Israel and I will be next to you. And my father knows that also, right? He, he went and found David in the wilderness just to encourage him in the Lord, just to speak life over him and to build him up and to let him know not to give up and don't lose his trust in God. So we see here that Jonathan honored David, he restored David, he protected David, and he encouraged David, even though he had everything to lose. This is selfless friendship. Come on, I'm getting excited just preaching this. I hope this is encouraging to you. This is the kind of friendship the Bible promises. This is what we need in our lives, is people who will honor us, restore us, protect us, encourage us, lift us up. A true friend can rejoice without envy when we've succeeded, when we've been lifted up. And this is the kind of friend we're called to be to others. Selfless friendship. Now listen, this is important. Friendship is mutual. All right, so selfless friendship doesn't mean that you just constantly give yourself away to people whose only intent is to suck the life out of you. That is not friendship. That is a toxic relationship. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about God's gift of limits. We've got to operate within our gift of limits. So selfless friendship does not mean that you just give yourself away constantly to people that are just taking and taking and taking from your life. Selfless friendship is mutual. You guys are both giving yourself selflessly to one another for the best of one another. That's friendship. And finally, number four is inspiring friendship. Inspiring friendship. 2 Samuel chapter 9. Once David had consolidated his kingdom and he was fully in power. He said this. Is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Right? So this is years after Jonathan was dead. And David was like, you know what? For Jonathan's sake, Jonathan had such an impact on my life. He so transformed me. He so inspired me and encouraged me that even years after he is dead, I'm just thinking, can I show kindness to somebody just for the sake of my old friend? And so what does he do? He finds out that Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, is still alive. He's been disabled in his feet, so he is completely hobbled. And so David calls for Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth thinks that David has called him so that he could kill him. And David said, no, I've come to show you kindness. I'm giving you back all the land that belonged to the family line of of your grandfather Saul. And I'm gonna give you servants to work that land since you can't work it yourself. And then you also, I'm gonna set a seat at the table for you. I'm going to set a seat at the table for you. You're going to eat dinner with me every night. He went out of his way. True friendship makes an impact on our lives that goes beyond the relationship. Man, I still think about my friend Bruce. He was the guy who led me to the Lord. And you know what he did for me? He set a a space at the dinner table for me. I was a drug addict. I was running on the streets. He let me come into his home with his wife and his kid. And he let me sit at the table with them. And he loved me and he treated me like family. And he inspired me to something greater. And I gave my life to Christ. And from that day until now, I have lived for something greater. My friendship with Bruce inspired me. And it was a selfless friendship, man. Bruce has gone through so much brokenness in his life. And yet he rejoiced in lifting me up even when he didn't experience the same breakthroughs in his life. Inspiring friendship. We can be the kind of friends that inspire others to live greater lives. Even after that relationship is gone, whether it's because we've moved apart, we live in different places of the country, or somebody has passed away. man, I think about friends that I had back in the Master's Commission when I was going through ministry training, people that spoke into my life and inspired me, and I still think about the things that they inspired me to do. Inspiring friendship. Come on, I hope you're getting stirred up today, man. Come on, intimate friendship covenant friendship selfless friendship inspiring friendship this is what god has called us to so i want to finish today by asking the question where do we start how do we start living a life with this kind of biblical friendship you can see in your notes i'm just going to give you four quick ideas first commit to covenant community commit to covenant community Listen, showing up to church once or twice a month, whenever you feel like it, that's not going to cut it. You've got to commit yourself to covenant community. You say, man, I'm going to be there as much as I can. I'm going to get into a a rooted group. I'm going to be involved in belong groups. I'm going to stick it out with people, even when I feel like I'm dying, even when I'm not benefiting from it. Even when it's a pain in the butt to get the family out of the house, to get to church, I'm going to do it because I'm going to commit myself to covenant community because it's only when I stick it out in that commitment that I find the level of friendship that the Bible has called me to. Right, We're going to start doing the masterpiece process here over the next couple of weeks. We would have started already if COVID hadn't thrown everything off again. As We're in the midst of another surge that I believe is going to be over here in a couple of weeks. And we're going to get rolling, getting people into rooted groups and taking the whole church through the masterpiece process. Come on, commit yourself to covenant community. Get into these groups and stick it out. Second thought I want to share with you is this. Practice the golden rule. Matthew 7, 12, Jesus said, In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. Right? Jesus right here is saying, Hey, you want me to boil down the whole Bible? I'll boil it down to this. Treat people the way you want them to treat you. So how do we start having biblical friendship? Practice the golden rule. Start being the friend you'd like to have. And this is where we need the grace of God to come in and to begin to work in our lives and to transform things in us so that we can be the friend that we would like to have, right? If you wish you had more encouraging friends, then start being a more encouraging friend, right? Come on, if you want, if you want to have more people in your life loving you, then start loving more people, right? If you want to have uh, more people uh, protecting you, then start protecting more people, Right? Start being the friend that you would like to have. And if that means God needs to come in and and work in your life, then allow the grace of God to begin to work in your heart, to begin to transform some things so that you can start being the friend that you would long to have. Let's begin to practice the golden rule. The third thought is delight in people. Right, We read this in 1 Samuel 19.1 that Jonathan greatly delighted in David. If you want to start having biblical friendships, start delighting in people. And I'm not talking about personality or temperament here. I know some of us are extroverts and some of us are introverts. Right? Listen, if you're an introvert, what that really means is that you are recharged when you're alone. You find your energy and your refreshing and your strength when you're by yourself. But that doesn't mean it's okay to not like people. That's not what it means to be an introvert. God has called us to delight in people, right? So start enjoying being around people and start being interested in them, right? We've all probably had those friendships or those relationships where whenever you're around somebody, all they do is just talk about themselves and themselves and themselves. And after a while, you're like, I don't really want to be around this person anymore. They're just into themselves, Start delighting in people. Start being a joy to be around. Start uh, being interested and focused on people's lives. And you'll start developing friendships, right? We we can actually create this self-fulfilling prophecy that says, oh, people don't want to be around me. People don't like me. And so then when we're around people, how do you think we act? We act like people don't want us around and people don't like us. And then we say, see, I told you. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You don't have friends because you told yourself that nobody wanted to be your friend, and then you don't have any joy when you're around people. Delight in people, and you'll start building biblical friendships. And then finally, make a positive impact on people. Make a positive impact on people. Don't just look for people to meet your needs. Right, again, when we're operating in brokenness, a lot of times what we do is we just go around looking for people to fill the endless void in our own lives. I just need people to make me feel better. I just, I just need people to dump all my garbage on. Now, listen, friendship is mutual. I'm not saying that we don't share our brokenness with each other. Absolutely we do. That's intimate friendship. But it's mutual. It's not just you sucking the life out of people because you're so empty inside. It's, you know what, I've decided I'm going to make a positive impact on people. I'm going to discover the gifts that God has given me. I'm going to discover the spiritual gifts that I have been blessed with, and I'm going to use those spiritual gifts to make a positive impact on people's lives. Thank you, Jesus. Let's commit ourselves to covenant community. Let's start practicing the golden rule. Let's allow the grace of God to work in our lives that we could start to become the friends we wish we had. Let's start delighting in people. And let's start using the gifts God has given us to make a positive impact in people's lives. And if we do those things, we'll start developing biblical friendship. And we'll be a people after God's own hearts because we are modeling for the world a friendship that could only be found in God. Thank you, Jesus. Let me just close with this thought, and I just want to pray for you today. To have a friend, we must be a friend. Don't sit around and complain that you don't have any friends. If you're just sitting around waiting for somebody to call you to be your friend, you're never going to have a friend. To have a friend, we must be a friend. Start being a friend to others. To be a friend, we must love ourselves and others. And this starts with loving God. Remember, what have we been talking about? Loving God well, loving ourselves well, loving others well. So let's saturate ourselves in the love of God. Let's learn how to love ourselves And that love will begin to pour out to others. And we'll start being a friend to others. And we'll start developing friendships. And we'll find those covenant friendships here in church. But we'll also find friendships outside of church where we can make a positive impact on people's lives. Even inspiring them with the gospel and leading them to salvation. What a promise. Hallelujah. Let me pray for you today. Thank you, Jesus. I just pray that this word would bring great encouragement and refreshing to every heart, Lord. I pray for those that are lonely. I pray for those that have struggled, Lord. Uh, Father, to to find friendships. I pray for those that have struggled in unhealthy and broken friendships and have been in relationships that continue to tempt them and draw them back into sin and continue to uh, just bring a toxic atmosphere into their lives. I pray, Father, right now in Jesus' name that this word of truth would do a new work in their hearts. I pray, Lord, that they would be drawn into the covenant community of church and that, Lord, they would find fresh life here, uh, Lord God, and that they would... would be uh, a lifting up in their lives, a lifting up in their lives, Lord, as they find people who would speak life over them and who would love them unconditionally, not wanting things from them, not using them, not manipulating them, but building them up and strengthening them, oh Lord. I pray, Father, for those uh, that have operated in that brokenness, that today would be a day of new life. Today would be a day of new freedom. I thank you for that, Lord. And God, I pray that for us as Kauai Bible Church, I pray, Lord, that uh, we would be inspired to a new level of friendship. Uh, Lord God, that we would look around our church. We would look at the people in our lives. We would look at the relationships that you have put in our lives, Lord. And Lord, we would be stirred to look at how can I be a better friend? How could I love more? How could I encourage more? How can I honor more? How could I lift up more? How could I protect more? Oh, Lord, and not, not by our human effort, but by your grace at work in our lives, Lord. Your love would flow through us, and we would see greater friendships. Lord, I pray for those that have struggled to trust that they would open up in vulnerability, and they would find intimacy and in friendships that they have feared, that they have thought were not possible in their lives. Oh, and there would be a greater intimacy. I thank you for the friendships within this church that are going to sustain us, that are going to make us uh, greater followers of Jesus, uh, that are going to lift us up to greater things. I thank you for the friendships that are going to be forged outside of this church, that are going to lead to salvations and are going to touch and change lives. I thank you for this message, Lord. I pray it would be transformative in all of our hearts, God. Minister to every heart today. We thank you for this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.